I'm excited to welcome a new sponsor in 2019 to the podcast, pageantswag.com. You see, I've been around the pageant world for some time now, and I have had numerous title holders and guests tell me that there were zero sites for casual fashion dedicated to you, the pageant lovers. So Pageant Swag decided to solve this problem. They've created this great e-commerce store full of everything from fun graphic t-shirts and crop tops to sweatshirts and hoodies. And they've even got a really cool lineup of both yoga and capri leggings. And it's all focused on you, the pageant lover. Check it out today and use the promo code LIFEAFTERTHECROWN for 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's pageantswag.com. One more time, pageantswag.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Danny Walker, and you are listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. My name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen, because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today was Miss Montana USA 2018 and is also the creator of Pageant Access, a personal branding, interview, and runway coaching service for the pageant industry. She is a YouTuber and communications coach awarded for Best Content and Social Media at the 2019 Global Beauty Awards and shares weekly vlogs and tutorials that range from style tips to influencer strategies. As a devoted volunteer, she's worked with over 50 nonprofit organizations since 2004, which work to address sustainable solutions for poverty. She approaches business and life goals with the motto, what can I give instead of what can I gain? Because she believes impactful success centers around service. Danny Walker, great to catch up with you finally and welcome to Life After the Crown. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for inviting me. And honestly, thank you for creating this podcast. I feel like on behalf of pageant girls everywhere and contestants, because I believe there was such a need for it to talk about what do you do after you get that dream title. Well, I'm very appreciative of that because honestly, when I started it, I'm like, I don't know if anybody's going to listen to this or not, but I saw the need at the pageants that I hosted with a lot of the title holders that I worked with when things were over. It was really hard for them. And I was like, somebody's got to deal with this and I guess it'll just be me. So thank you for saying that. That means a lot. We appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so let's talk about your journey um, instead of after. Let's talk about it before. Uh, Miss Montana USA last year. And and really, I I would love to know how pageant life began for you. Um, So I I guess at what point in your life did you decide, you know what, let's do a pageant? Sure. So that goes all the way back to 2004. It was my 14th birthday. It was actually my very first pageant. So I'll never forget the actual date that that happened. And it was for a very small uh, pageant system just in my hometown. And the reason I got involved was because my mom and my aunt, who are very, I would describe them as very feminine, they saw me, who was a then tomboy, and thought that I just needed a little bit of help in that junior high 
high school type age to kind of refine my communication skills and just my wardrobe and styling. And they thought the best way to do that was by entering me in a pageant. So it was not my idea. I had always watched Miss USA and Miss America on TV, but it wasn't necessarily something I really was asking or begging to do. And, and I competed in that, didn't place, didn't get anything. And I ended up being invited to another pageant after that, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with, National American Miss. Of course. And, right, and I talked, um, I talk a lot about National American Miss on my YouTube channel because as a young woman, it was really instrumental in encouraging me to continue to pursue pageants on that, I would say, larger scale at that. Obviously, you know, Miss USA, it's on national television. It's a really big deal. So that organization was instrumental in encouraging me to continue that pursuit, but also it helped me a lot with goal setting and improving all of my communication skills. And that's what interested me was the growth and also seeing the title holders that I would see get crowned that would go on to Miss USA or Miss America and then accomplish great things beyond that. Those women really inspired me and I just said, I want to do that too. So I believe I was 21 years old when I finally started competing in the USA system, when I finally mustered up the courage to do it. (laughs) And it took me seven years to win my USA state title. And I know that that's not uncommon for a lot of other young women out there. So ladies, if you dream of reaching that Miss USA stage, just keep at it. Don't get, don't give up that dream as long as you still haven't aged out yet. <laughs> well, good for you for the persistence and the perseverance to get, to, I mean, that's, you know, seven years. It's, you know, I think most people after three or four, they're like, eh, I don't know if this is for me or not. <laughs> um, but good for you for doing that. And certainly sets a great example of what it's like to not quit and, and give up. Uh, but you had mentioned something that kind of caught my ear because I've, I've heard it many times. And that is you were a tomboy and you really had no interest oh, yeah. in competing. Um, I had another coach on not too long ago, Brittany Guidry, uh, Empowering Crowns down in Louisiana. She was a tomboy, and and both of you ended up doing very well in pageants. In your opinion, is there a reason why you think tomboys end up doing well? Because I see it all the time. I'm not sure if it's because I was a tomboy, but I think that when girls grow up primarily around boys or, or playing with boys, we start to really develop this kind of competitive nature. And as soon as I competed in in my first pageant, and even though I wasn't recognized on stage, I didn't win anything. Technically, I didn't get any encouragement from that organization that said, come back, this might be for you. I, I still had that competitive nature, I think, growing up. I always tell people I am my father's son because I'm an only <laughs> child. And my dad, he's definitely like the man's man. He loves to go hiking and hunting and fishing. And so all of my family vacations growing up were literally camping, which just drove me <laughs> drove me nuts. But I learned a lot of skills throughout that, like outdoorsman skills. And I really, I really took to it. Hence, becoming a tomboy. But then mom seeing that I was growing up to become a young lady wanted to step in and say, okay, that's enough of that. We need to, we need to embrace the other side of you and that femininity. That's, that's, a, that's good background. I, I, like the, I like the way you approach that. That's very good. Um, I, I want to, yeah. um, for, for those people who know you as Miss Montana USA, or maybe they've seen one of your 500 plus videos on YouTube, um, that's <laughs> one way they know you. But I, I read a sentence on your website 
um, that I think gives everybody a really good glimpse into who you are, and I want to ask you about it. Um, it says, long before I was Miss Montana USA, I was a young woman who was 5'7 on a good day that dreamt of a career in fashion and entertainment. And several years into a failed music career and one unused bachelor degree later, I realized my dreams of stardom might never come to pass. But in 2014, I stumbled upon YouTube and my life got flipped and turned upside down. Tell us what <laughs> happened in 2014. So in 2014, I had, that's the year I started the YouTube channel. And leading up to that, I was competing in pageants. As I said, I started in 2004 and I was successful at National American Miss. I had held some state titles and I had really excelled in optional competition. So we're talking about talent, spokesmodel, actress, casual wear. So it's very rare for a contestant to win a state title and win all of those. Basically a clean sweep. So even though I didn't have the national title, girls still came to me for advice because they had seen I had been pretty successful in the system. And they came to me on a regular basis. And it got to the point where I was, I'm the type of person where if you ask me for help, I have a deep desire to help you, to give whatever it is that I can to assist you. But it got to the point where it became very time consuming. And I ended up writing girls these novels across, I, I would describe them as novels, novels across MySpace. <laughs> it was literally back in the day and then on Facebook. And I was giving them tips for how they can do well in their pageant. And it, it ended up being so time consuming that I said, oh my goodness, I have an idea. YouTube exists. I am going to make a couple videos that answer common questions that I get all the time. And now when a girl asks me about them, I'm just going to send her a link. So to me, it was solving a problem. I didn't get into YouTube with the idea of I'm going to be a YouTuber, anything like it was, there was nothing like that. And so I published a few videos and I let the channel sit for probably about a year, <laughs> year to a year and a half before uh, I went and looked back at it and found out that people were commenting and they had more questions. And I was able to give them some answers and the girls applied these answers and they were successful at their pageants. And I looked at that and I said, no, maybe I'm on to something here. So I looked into YouTube and discovered, oh, being a YouTuber is a thing. So, so I said, this is actually pretty cool. I know a lot about pageants. I enjoy sharing about it. And I can help other girls who are just like me, who might not have the financial background to support this dream of theirs. And I said, I want to make pageants accessible to all young women. So that was the idea behind pageant access, to really just give any girl, regardless of their background, access to doing well in pageantry. Because, yeah, I mean, I think for a long time, as you mentioned, uh, pageantry was an ex – we'll just call it a super expensive sport to compete in. I mean, it was <laughs> like if you, if you don't have ten grand to throw around, you're probably not going to do well. And I think a lot of people right. felt like that. And these days, uh, with people like you, who are putting a lot of good free information out there, in addition to, you know, the things that you sell for your business, um, it has helped so many people to just feel more comfortable with stepping on a stage for the first time, maybe not having anybody around them that knows anything about a pageant. But it's like, hey, Danny out there in L.A., she knows what she's talking <laughs> about. I'll watch her YouTube videos. So that's really cool. So I guess that leads into pageant access, which is your coaching business that you created. Now, I talk to formers all the time who say, you know, I think I'm done here. I think I'm going to do some coaching. And I would say 95% of them are not successful at that at all. 
there are the few that are the Shandies and Susies out there, you know, who do really well for themselves, including you and, and, a, and you know, quite a few others. But what do you think that you did to create success for yourself and actually, you know, create a stable income in which you can call it now a career? Great, great question. And actually, I'm going to be touching on this on my channel a lot more in the coming months because I've actually come across this question a lot. And I think that what I realized was the power of social media and the power of telling your story, building a brand, and using free resources. So it's not just one simple answer, obviously, and it took time to build. But pageant coaching is simply a type of coaching, and it's largely dependent on referrals from, I would say, current clients. Partially, it comes from the success of your clients. That's always great advertisement when your girl does well or wins. But also, you need to be reaching out to your ideal clients. And I think that that mindset just comes from understanding a little bit about business. So what a lot of people don't know is when you talk earlier about how I had had this failed modeling career and music (laughs) industry career and didn't use my college degree, what people didn't know is those sort of down years for me, I would say, I literally, I mean, I was so broke, I would walk myself to the library. And I said, there are other people who know more than I do about business. And they have given away their information for free via the library. And so I literally used to just sit and read books about finance, business, and entrepreneurs. And I said, oh my gosh, my pageant coaching business isn't just, you know, this small thing. I could make it huge. I could be very well known in this industry if I take it and approach it from a business aspect like other people do. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest mistake that a lot of my fellow contestants or former title holders are making is what they're doing is they're just making a quick announcement. They're making an Instagram page about their coaching services and they post some photos of, you know, one or two clients and then they just expect the clients to come. They expect them to show up and, and they expect them to do this without first receiving any value from them. And what my channel allowed me to do, and you can do this on YouTube, you can do it on social media, you can do it on a small or a large scale, and it doesn't really matter where you start. But I believe you need to first offer value to your audience to let them know that the things that you're going to be teaching them or offering, that that value can also be validated, that it's actionable. So before I'm asking any girl to come and work with me one-on-one for coaching or buy any of my digital products or services, I'm consistently showing up. I'm answering their questions, and I'm giving them actionable tips that they're applying and getting results with. And I'm also constantly reaching out to girls as well. I reply to every comment. I don't just sit and wait for people to message me on social media. I actively search for pageant contestants online and I engage with them, not always for the sake of getting a client, but for the sake of actually helping girls and continuing to support young women in this industry. I think that girls should be encouraged and recognized when they're doing really great work with their platform, whether it's bad or if they're just improving, but they're doing a lot better when they compete on stage or in their Instagram lives. And I think it's important to recognize that. So I think that's really what has made me stand out is saying I'm actually going to build this as a real business 
And, and I'm not just going to sit here and wait for growth to come. Well, I have a couple of questions for you. So we're both small business owners. We're both entrepreneurs. But, you know, as I looked at your stuff today, um, there were a couple of things that I noticed that I think you do really well. Um, but the, the, before I get into that, the, the first thing I'd love to know is how long did it take you to set up your business? A month? A couple of weeks? Three months? So it was a while before I realized that pageant coaching could be a serious job for me or that YouTube could be a serious job. I was basically, since I would say in 2016 is when I decided that I was going to start building the channel. And as the channel built, it started to funnel clients to me. And the channel basically serves as advertisement and it's free advertisement to bring me a steady stream of clients all the time, uh, really without any effort. Once I click publish on a video, I know that daily girls come to me and contact me for for coaching. So for me, I wouldn't say that it, it was a thing where it was like it was a month or, or it was a year. It, it was, if I look at it, it was several years. I would say, like I said, when I started in 2016 was kind of like the onset. So it did take time. And I have shared with people recently, it took me two years before my coaching business was able to replace my normal income that I was making when I was modeling. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a bit of a transition because it's it's a niche industry. And if you don't have any experience with it, which is what a lot of girls are starting out with, they're literally starting out with nothing. All they know is how they won. They don't know how to teach other people how to win just yet. And they might not have clients yet. So I think that for pageant coaching, because you're coming kind of like from that ground floor level, um, and it's really self-taught that it usually requires a transition. Most people cannot just jump into it. So you start off on YouTube, you get a lot of views, and then you start getting a lot of comments. Things start to build from there. Um, I think for a lot of people listening, they're wondering, okay, so you had a lot of uh, views and, and comments and you started contacting people, but did you have some sort of blueprint that you followed on how to um, obtain those people? you know, get them into some sort of service that you can sell? Um, Did you read a book? Did you have a mentor? Uh, I'd love to hear that. Not at the beginning, because you don't know what you don't know. So, so every time I would publish a video, I would learn about a new need that my audience had through their questions. So I placed a high emphasis on listening to them. And I figured, okay, if, you know, two people that watch this video have the same question, there's a good chance that there's a lot of other people out there who have that same question. So the way that I really, I would say, built the channel and fully created, I would say, you know, a type of business plan to make this sustainable was really just listening to my audience and and then figuring out, okay, with the obstacles that they have, how can I better deliver to them a solution for the problems that they're having. So sometimes that meant through, actually a lot of times, it meant that I had to go and take a look at other YouTubers and figure out how they, for example, increase their view time on their videos. And there's certain things that if you are just starting out on YouTube, and that's a whole topic in itself, but there's certain things you can say in your videos that keep people watching for longer, that encourage them to be subscribers, and that there are ways that you can format your videos and the order of the information that you're putting out there that really encourages people to become, you know, potential, potentially clients for you in the future. But I would say that for me, it was a continual learning process. So I felt like I'd always hit sort of like a wall 
or I would see another YouTuber who was, I wanted to be more like, or, you know, more successful. And I would say, okay, they have something that I don't have and I need to figure out what that is and how I can replicate it from my own channel and from my own audience. So it wasn't a specific business plan, but honestly, it's continual growth. So I feel like I'm constantly applying new strategies or really experiments <laughs> to the channel and to social media and seeing what works, what doesn't, and continuing to pursue constant growth. Well, from the outside looking in, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, I think one of the main strategies that makes you so successful at this point is uh, this whole myth of pay to play. There are a lot of people out there, they've competed, they've won state titles, maybe even a national title. And their viewpoint is, if somebody wants it from me, they're going to have to pay me to get it. Whereas you put a ton of free advice out there, uh, free information, and that leads people to want to ask more questions. And that eventually leads to say, hey, do you want to work with me? I do offer a service. And then they're like, well, heck yeah, I want to work with you. And it, it's that <laughs> process of giving before getting that I think a lot of people, they just don't get. Is that sound about right? Oh, a hundred percent. And I would say that people who I already, like I said, sort of did it naturally because for me, YouTube wasn't going to be a job. I literally started it because I said, I came from a really difficult financial circumstance growing up. It was hard for me to compete in pageants. I was out there. I was asking for sponsors. And I said, I know that there's other great young women out there who are just like me that are so deserving, that would be wonderful representatives for an organization that just need a little bit of help. So it started naturally. But I would say what really fostered that idea were other authors that I would read from, like I would, like I said, I would just sit and read business books when I was super broke and I couldn't even afford to buy the books. So I went to the <laughs> library and, and I want, you know, when you want something bad enough, you'll make it happen. But nowadays the people that influence me the most are other podcasters. So I listened to Jenna Kutcher, the gold digger podcast, yep. super obsessed, uh, Julie Solomon, the influencer podcast, and then Amy Porterfield's podcast, who was actually a mentor of Jenna Kutcher. And these women are such great examples of generosity and really serving others and realizing that I believe, you know, kind of a key to success is living in abundancy and you know, not being afraid to share, to give to others. You know, I think that the more that you give, really, like, the more you get back. Well, look, you've done a great job of that. And I just uh, appreciate what you do. And I know a lot of people listening do as well. And I just please keep doing it. And like I told you before we even got on here, we need more of you because um, that giving attitude, that that spirit of gratitude for just what you have and, and giving that back to others, that seems to be fading in a lot of areas of society. And it's scary, but you know, it's just nice to see people who have that spirit and push it out there. So thank you for doing that. Um, I, I did want to ask about the videos. Um, now you are known for kind of having raw honesty in your videos and just telling it like it is, which by the way, is, is needed as well. Um, do you find it hard, uh, to be real sometimes in, in, in a modern day culture that doesn't often like to hear the truth? Of course. I feel that all the time. The times where I feel it the most is whenever I record a pageant recap oh, yeah. and people, people <laughs> sort of, yeah, people ask about it. And what's tough about the recaps is that I tend to meet these girls in person because we run into one another at events and I meet them before they compete or I'm friends with them because it's a small industry. And so I'm always torn between how honest I can be without hurting a close friend's feelings. So the approach I'd like to take for my recaps, and the reason I think that I am known for that honesty is the way that I present it. So 
it's a really simple thing. All I do whenever I recreate these or whenever I create the recap is say to myself, what if the girl who I'm talking about sees this video? I think about how she might feel seeing the video. And that helps me to do my best to never personally attack someone or criticize them for something that has to do with, I would say, their their character, something that really makes them them. So what I focus on with my recaps and the honesty you're really referring to is I really always believe everyone's a work in progress. So whenever I comment on a girl's performance, I like to look at it from the scope of, okay, here's how she did. What can she either learn from it to make an adjustment to improve to do better, in my opinion, or what can somebody else who may be going through the same thing take away from her performance and apply to their own strategy for getting ready to their pa- for their pageant. And I think I just take it from a view of constructive criticism and being real with people. I think that's, I think that's really important. I was just speaking to a girl yesterday who is interested in working with me for coaching. And she was perplexed on why she's never placed if she has been competing for so many years. And she sent me her social media. I took one look at her social media and I said, Oh, okay. Uh, Judging by the things you're wearing and how your hair and how your makeup looks, I got to be super honest with you because I know you're frustrated because you're not placing. And I'm going to tell you exactly what you can change right now uh, instantly to end up placing better at your next competition. And she messaged me back and she said, oh my gosh, nobody has ever been kind of like that brutally honest with me about my, you know, like physical appearance, getting ready for a pageant. And she immediately said, I want to book with you. I want to coach with you now. And I said, okay, cool. But I think it's important to be honest so people can really trust your opinion. And I think establishing trust in any industry, in any way that you want to influence people is really essential for your success. Your audience has to trust you. Well, and it, look, you are exactly right. Anytime you go, and I'm, I'm at a lot of the state uh, state pageants and, of course, the national pageant, every single one of the girls comes from their own little circle in which they are a very, you know, we'll, we'll call it a big deal. And mm-hmm. they are not used to people telling them anything that doesn't make them happy, whether that's guys telling them they're beautiful or girlfriends saying, you know, oh, you're going to do awesome. You're going to kill it up there. You're going to win. And the first person that says it to them, um, it, it's almost taken an offense for a second. And then, you know, they realize that person like you might have credibility and go, well, maybe I'm not hearing something I need to be hearing. And then that's where, you know, a lot of times coaching begins for some of these people. So again, the raw part, it, it, it's needed. And I love it. I love that you say it. And I love that you say it with some, you know, couth and respect because there was a movement that started, you know, five, 10 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of gay guys like to do it. They like to just get on there and just be flamboyant and just rip people to shreds and make, you know, make funny jokes out of it. But at the end of the day, it really hurts that person. And it's just nice right. to see that there's another approach to it that, you know, hopefully takes uh, takes flight here. I hope so, because I look at that approach and I think, what value is there in that? If you truly care about someone, the honesty and the, the type of critiques that you're giving them are in their best interest. And you really don't want to crush someone if you're truly invested and helping them grow. I read one of your blogs, and, and we can actually get into one of these because I, it, it connected with me so well because I say it all the time at pageants. And it was, uh, I think it was a blog called Three Things or Three Ways to Know That You're a Pageant Patty, which everybody knows what a pageant yeah. patty is. 
Um, but the, the first one was it was dead on, and it was um, that ultra common pageant petty follow up to an interview answer with, "Thank you." And I, if I'm standing on stage with a girl and she says thank you, I'm like, "Who are you thanking? Why? What? Who? Who out here are you thank? Are you thanking the audience because they don't care? They just want to hear you talk." I love it. Yes. I thought it was hilarious. Thank you. It's so true. Girls do such strange things on stage in an interview. I think it's just because we are uh, not used to standing on stage. That's not a normal thing for most people in their day in life or for their everyday lives. So we develop these kind of strange coping mechanisms. And if nobody identifies those to you, you're unaware of them, you'll continue to do them. And I constantly, when I point those things out to girls, things that they don't realize that they're doing, I say, in your everyday life, would you do that? Would you actually say that? And then they always say, well, no, I would never do that. I said, so you don't need to do it on stage. You don't need to do it in a pageant because it comes off as very bizarre to a judge or to audience members. I got two others. Uh, you mentioned one of them in the blog. Uh, one is uh, you talk and your hands are on your hips and they never leave your hips. It's like they're locked. It's like oh. I, I glued my hands to my hips. That's one. The other one that I always oh. laugh at, I, I don't know why I think it's funny, but I'll call out the top 15 and a girl will walk forward and it's this open-handed, like, thank you to the judges where they put their arms out, palms face up, and they kind of bow them up and down a little bit. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like religious in, in a way. And I, I don't know why I think it's funny, but every time I see it, I'm like, it's just you did that because you saw somebody else do it, not because that's what you do. I know exactly what you're talking about. And the other one that girls do, and it's a very Miss America thing, is during the final show of Miss America, when the girls get called up for a top 15 and they're about to stand on the spot on stage where they've been told to stand while an MC reads something about them or a fun fact, they always do the, this little like Miss America wave at everyone. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, why <laughs> is that a thing? Why does everybody do that thing? Nobody naturally does that. It's just this wave thing. And I see it at every show. It just, it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the pageant industry itself. Okay. So there's, you know, a ridiculous amount of organizations that have state, local, and national pageants anymore. It's like I don't even I, – I honestly don't even know all of them. I, I obviously know USA and American United States well, but, you know, the others, I'm like, there's probably at least 40 or 50. Overall, everything from Miss America, Miss USA, all, Miss Universe, all the way down through all of them, the current state of the pageant industry, in your opinion, is what? Is it in good shape? Is it rough? Does it need help? That's a really good question. The current state of the pageant industry for all organizations. And, and you know what? If we just want to, if we just want to concentrate on America and USA, let's do that. <laughs> just, just to make it easier, because I, I mean, those are the those are the public ones. I was going to say, how much time do you ha how much time do you have? Because obviously, <laughs> if you watch my channel, you know I have a lot of opinions. Well, I, I think people want to hear them, so let's go. <laughs> I believe that every pageant organization has something different to offer contestants. And I think that there's always going to be a fluctuation of things that work and things that don't. And I think that's also necessary to be making changes that are going to reflect the needs and desires of your potential contestants. I think it's important to reflect where society is at any given time. If we look back at the Miss America organization and in its beginnings, it started out as a bathing beauties contest, and we know that its transition is so much more than that. So what I really think and what I would like to see for the future of any large organization or small organization is an emphasis on listening to your contestants and knowing who you are marketing to, who your ideal contestant is, and owning whatever that is. 
I think that a lot of people forget that not everybody is going to want to be a quote unquote pageant girl or a title holder. So they're trying to, they're trying their best to convince everyone like pageants are relevant. This is all so great. And you have to realize it's just not going to be for, for some people. And I think that for any organization to really flourish, they should be focusing on, okay, we are a pageant system. We know we've narrowed down that aspect of it, but what does our pageant system have to offer to our ideal contestant? And then really just embracing that instead of trying to please everyone. And I really see that that's the current state of larger organizations. I feel like they, they try to make these moves that are either for the sake of making press or for the sake of pleasing everyone. And I just have to say, you're never going to please everyone. And I think that you should just like listen to your contestants, ask them why they love your organization, and then just lean into that. Lean into what you have to offer because you exist to serve these young women. Mm -hmm. You exist as a stepping stone for their bigger goals. And that's evident because the title only lasts one year. This is not a career. And I think it's important to understand your great role and influential role in these young women's lives and really what you have to offer and why they're competing. That, that's some really good stuff. I, I'll give you my two real quick on, on just the two big organizations. OK, so Miss America, I think they're in a massive identity crisis. I think they're in real trouble. And, and I'm not for those of you who are listening who are Miss American contestants. That's not a shot at you. It's a shot at your leadership. Your leadership is yeah. in real trouble because they do not know what they're doing right now. And they've made it more about themselves and their tradition than they have about you and your success and actually, you know, doing something that's going to grow the organization and make it better and make it more valuable to you. On the Miss USA side, I think William Morris Endeavor and IMG, when they bought it, I think they filtered way too far into politics and, and, you know, societal cultural issues that they've tried to really make prominent in the pageants. And it's really stained it quite a bit for a lot of people rather than making it what it is. I mean, these are all, at the end of the day, they are beauty pageants. That word's never going to go away no matter what Gretchen Carlson says. I don't care what she says because she's not going to be there long. You can't get away from that. That's what's made, always made it great. Men or women, I don't care who you're talking to. That's what make them great at the end of the day because, Danny, am I, am I lying here with it? Every woman wants to feel beautiful? Am I lying? I think any person wants to feel great about themselves. You're totally right, man or woman. And I don't find any fault in focusing on improving your outer appearance or your inner appearance, inner appearance, as long as you're not neglecting either one, I think that there has to be a healthy balance between the two. But I think that people sort of vilify the idea of beauty in the beauty pageant industry. And I don't think it should be a negative thing because we certainly celebrate it for everything else. We celebrate it when we look at our athletes, when we look at our celebrities. There are entire you know, magazines, what the body issue uh, that features all of these amazing athletes and their incredible bodies and all the work that they put into it. And wow, they're so incredible. But in the same breath, we can't celebrate women at Miss USA or Miss America for all the work that they put into their bodies. It's, it's a little bit of a contradiction for me. So I totally agree with you on both of those points, though. Miss America, 100% identity crisis. And I'm like, y'all need to get yourself together or it's not looking good. And I don't know if we'll get to that 100th year anniversary. And 100% for USA, the biggest uh, I would say comments from girls is how political it's gotten, the emphasis, uh, you know, needing to have a story, so to speak. And I, I totally agree. You're right. We should look at it for, for what it is. And I think 
for me at least, its role that it can play in just shaping a young woman's success in life. Look, and I say that as somebody who has worked for them, obviously. I mean, I did Teen USA, so <laughs> it's not like I, I, I'm, I'm very vocal with everybody about it because I, I want it to get better and I want to see them succeed. It's, but I think a lot, you know, the organizations, those two in particular, they get caught in their New York City bubble and they think mm-hmm. that everybody that thinks everything up there is what the rest of the country thinks. And I'm like, actually, it's probably about the opposite. And you just need to open up your viewpoint on what people are thinking and why they're participating in your organization. And uh, you bring up some some really good points there. So thanks for sharing. Thank you. Yes, that was such a great question. I loved that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You had mentioned about that all day. I know. I know. We could probably go three hours on that if you want to. But um, you had mentioned earlier that you grew up in a low income and I believe a high crime neighborhood, um, which is becoming more and more common, you know, in some of these suburbs of these big cities. How do you think that that affected your life moving forward? Did you feel uh, now that you have the gift of hindsight, was it a good thing or was it a bad thing? I believe that it can be a good thing because there are a lot of people that can rise out of adversity, but it's dependent on the choices that you make in life. And when I look back in hindsight recently, I believe that it gives me an element of relatability to my audience. So I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth. So when I share advice to young women on my channel about pageants or success, they know that I'm, I might be coming from a place very similar to them and that I have not been immune to some really difficult obstacles. And I, I know how it feels to be scared as a child and wonder, can mom and dad pay the rent? Uh, is there going to be food when I get home today? Is our house going to be burglarized again? Is some, I, I grew up in that. Uh, I would say mindset of fear of what's happening next. Um, mm-hmm. But also as a, as a result, I would say of that, if I hadn't have participated in pageants, my mindset towards goals and success would have been very different. It was not until I competed in pageants where I was taken out of my own bubble and I got to meet other young women who came from maybe more affluent backgrounds or came from backgrounds like myself. And I got to see that, in, at least in my mind's eye, we were equal on stage. When, when I jumped up on stage with them, the only differences was how much practice that I put in before getting onto that stage. And no matter the home that I went to at night, wherever I would return to, I could still do very well in a pageant based on how much work I was willing to to put into it. So like you were asking, I think looking back, it's been actually a huge benefit to me and it's been something that really shaped me. But at the end of the day, we all have to take accountability for ourselves and never use our initial circumstance as an excuse for not excelling or not going after our dreams. And, and pageantry, honestly, it did teach me how to dream. It taught me to see things for the potential that they have versus just always as an obstacle or always something that I wouldn't be able to have or achieve for myself. Well, look, your work ethic is obviously paying off. You uh, won a state title uh, in Miss Montana, USA. Um, this year, you were awarded Best Content and Social Media at the 2019 Global Beauty Awards. Congrats on that, by the way. Uh, I Thank think for you. you know for those listening who are trying to figure out how to build their social media brand online um, without giving away all your secrets, Um, Could you share some tips on maybe how to start? I totally give away all my secrets all the time, though. That's so funny. (laughs) You do. (laughs) So uh, I will actually be coming out with some new episodes that are going to be dedicated more to building your social media uh, following online. But in general, I would say 
Number one, figure out who your ideal audience is, whether that's a pageant audience, whether you have a personal platform, or let's say you're pursuing a very interesting career and people might want to know more about that career, but figure out who you're speaking to. Uh, there's a great quote and I, uh, by Julie Solomon, and she says, if you're trying to speak to everybody, you're speaking to nobody. And I said, wow, that's, that's kind of really great. You can't please everyone. So as you're developing your social media and your content, and you're trying to figure out what kind of photos should I take? What kind of captions should I have? Um, what kind of live videos should I be doing? Think back to how you're going to be serving that audience and who you're trying to attract. So if you are a personal trainer, your posts should mainly center around what? Working out, nutrition, and all of those things, right? That should be who you are and how you show up online. Sure, you can always share more about your personal life. You can always throw in a post about my dog, or you can always throw in, you know, a post about something that you do as a side project or a hobby. But everything should basically be centered, I would say, around your ideal audience and how you're going to be serving them and how you're going to be giving them value. The other thing I would say is as you are building up your social media, use planning to your advantage. Use intention when you're creating content. Obviously, that comes back to what do you want to share with people and who your ideal audience is, but make things easy on yourself by batching your content. So a lot of times if I'm, if I'm somewhere and I have full hair and makeup on and I have a great outfit on, I will take a bunch of photos in that one location and I won't post it maybe for months. And I will wait to use that content for the ideal moment. And doing things like that with intention makes it so much easier on yourself. So it looks or it has this appearance that you're always showing up for your audience, even though maybe you're sitting at home in your sweatpants at the time, which is probably, it's like my norm. <laughs> so planning all of that out ahead of time. And, and lastly, I would say the thing that's huge that so many girls are missing when they come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know why my social media is not growing. Uh, it's because you're not responding to any comments. It's because you're ignoring all DMs. It's because you're not actually taking the initiative to engage on other people's platforms. You are not tagging brands that you love. You are not using hashtags. You're simply not engaging with others, and you're just waiting for them all to come to you, and that's not the reality of social media. So whatever comes back to the same kind of point, whatever you're giving, you're going to be receiving back from this audience. So I know that every time I commit to being very engaged online, every time I set aside even 15 minutes a day, put your timer on and to reach out to people, to comment on their posts, to like their posts, and to respond to everybody who commented on yours to make sure that they feel seen and heard, that my social media always increases engagement and boosts. So those things are huge. And what's that book? I think it's by Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, The Thank You Economy, which is basically what you're talking about. Oh, I, 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 know, I, know, I have not read that one. I'll have to check it out. I'm, I'm familiar with who he is, obviously. He has so many great videos online and uh, so much great advice. Yeah, but you want to talk about raw. He's, he's raw. <laughs> <laughs> That's his brand. See, so he, see, he knows his brand and he just leaned into it. So you got to yeah. figure out what works for you. <laughs> He certainly did. Well, hey, I have one more question before we get into our uh, get to know you questions. Uh, everybody wants to know, are you done competing? Oh, yes, 100%. I love life on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. And for me, competing at Miss USA, that was my main goal in pageantry, aside from maybe getting to compete as Miss Universe. And I believe it's important to 
choose organizations that align with your goals or things that you value. I personally loved competing at USA. I had competed in the America system. It was not the right fit for me. And I, I lived out that dream. And if I were to compete for any other pageant system, my heart wouldn't be in the same place as it was for, for USA or potentially for universe. And I believe that if I went into a competition and if I were to win a different title, and compete, then I would be doing a disservice to that organization. And also, I would be taking away an opportunity, potentially if I won, from another young woman who might have used that title as something really great and instrumental in her life. And I take that very seriously. I know that whenever I entered a pageant, and if I were to win, that I'm taking that, I mean, sort, sort of, yes and sort of no, but I'm, I'm potentially taking away that opportunity from another young woman. And I would never want to do that. I, w I would rather let other women step into these new experiences, things that, that they want to achieve through pageantry, because I, I feel like I really, you know, I reached that point in my pageant career where I felt that great fulfillment. And I'm happy that I was able to do that. So you're officially a former. I am a former. I am retired <laughs> and I judge and I love it and I host and I, I absolutely love it. It's so fun watching other girls now and getting to cheer them on. Oh, very good. Well, very good. All right. So uh, it's time for at this point of the podcast, I do my rapid fire get to know Danny Walker questions. It's 10 questions, totally lighthearted, meant to be fun. Fast as you want or slow as you want, it really doesn't matter. Are you ready? I am ready and very excited about it. <laughs> right, here we go. Number one, <laughs> would you rather cuddle with a baby panda or a baby penguin? Oh, wow. <laughs> really got to think. I, really, I mean, you don't understand my love for animals and animal encounters. Okay, I'm going to say penguin right now just because I did attempt to do that and it was a failed attempt. <laughs> did it slide out of your arm? No, I, I booked an entire trip around it, and then I got there, and they said that the tickets were sold out. So oh. I didn't, didn't even get to see them. It was very difficult. <laughs> I'm sure that was pretty challenging to swallow. Okay, number two, <laughs> are lifeguards attractive? No, most lifeguards are, are high school or college students, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> we'll just, leave that, we'll just leave that there. Well, you got it. <laughs> Uh, number three, can you name one of the seven dwarfs? Oh, almost all of them probably, but sleepy. That's perfect. That's all I need. Number four, <laughs> would you want to live forever if you could? No. Oh, my gosh. No, because your body deteriorates. I <laughs> No, I already have too many aches and pains. What if, no you stayed the, what if you could stay like 25 your whole life? Just Would you, would you do it then? No, I feel like I'd be lonely if nobody else could live forever either. That's true. That's true. All <laughs> right, number five. What's for dinner tonight? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm craving an acai bowl right now, which probably technically isn't dinner, but it might turn into dinner. So we'll see. <laughs> okay. Uh, number six. How many pull-ups can you do in a row? Zero. I would <laughs> love if I could do one. Though. One, I, maybe when I was two. A kid, I could do that. No, not even one, unless it's an assisted pull-up. I can do an assisted one. That's about it. Okay. All right, number seven. Uh, favorite type of tea to drink? I love oolong teas. Like white teas. My favorite, for sure. How do you spell oolong? O-O-L-O-N-G. Oolong, okay. Number eight. How many cups of coffee do you drink a day if you drink it? 
I don't drink any coffee, only tea. Obsessed with tea. Probably a really good thing. Number <laughs> nine, what is your ideal outside temperature? I'm always a, I'm a very cold person, so if I could be outside, it would be like 78 with a slight breeze. I'm a 72 guy. I like that. <laughs> All right, number 10. What's something that you could eat for a week straight? Bread, without a doubt. Hands down. <laughs> bread, bread from 85C, an incredible bakery. That was one of the reasons I could not lose weight before winning Miss Montana. So I used to eat so much bread every day. I was like, I'm working out. What's going on? I was eating like 5,000 calories of bread every day. Yeah, that's not going to help the swimsuit figure. Not, not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? You're off the hook. That's all 10 questions. You did really, really good. Oh, thank you. I mean, I don't think I, I mean, it's not a real game. So I don't really lose or win anything, but I loved it. I had fun. But hey, I got to tell you again, I love what you're doing out there. You are certainly growing organically. Um, you are helping a lot of people, and I love what I'm seeing. I will be sharing all of your information here at the end of the podcast. Uh, but is there any other things that you're doing that people need to know about before we wrap up here? Nothing in particular. I did just launch, though, my first courses, which are another way of making pageant coaching accessible to all young women. So if if one-on-one coaching is out of your budget, now I have these courses where I put together all the information that I share with my one-on-one clients, and I share those in my video courses. So you can go at your own pace and watch watch those and prepare for your pageant, and you can do that very easily through my website, dannywalkerofficial.com. I'm on the website. Is that Crown Academy? Is that what that is? Yes. Yes, it is. Exactly. You well, do hey, your Danny. homework. I love it. <laughs> hey, it's my job as a former journalist to at least know what I'm talking about here. So, hey, thanks for the time today. You're awesome. I certainly hope uh, we can meet uh, in person at one of the pageants. I haven't had a chance to do that, but I have no doubt with all the pageants that we're both at that one way or the other we'll run into each other. Very true, and I hope so. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I loved it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode and to Danny Walker for her time. Now, if you'd like to follow Danny, you can check out her website, which is dannywalkerofficial.com. Or on social media, there's a few places that you can find her. On Instagram, at Danny Walker. On Twitter, at Danny Lynn Walker. And on Pinterest, Danny Walker Official, all one word. And for coaching services, check out at Pageant Access on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Have an awesome week, everybody.